This is On the Fence Physio, a project designed to drive discussion around those gray topics in physiotherapy. If a professor ever answered your question with, it depends, this is where you want to be. We might not figure out the correct answer, but we will try to answer the question in every single possible way. This is a discussion forum directed at healthcare providers around issues in physiotherapy, but we also welcome viewpoints from patients. That being said, this podcast is not medical advice. If you are looking for legitimate medical advice, seek out a legitimate licensed medical provider. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the first episode of On the Fence Physio podcast. My name is Andy Wiseman. I am a physical therapist. I am an orthopedic resident and practicing in the great state of Maryland. My co-host today and always in my heart is Matthew Owens. Matthew, say hi. Hey, everybody. I'm a physical therapist in Greencastle, Indiana, rural setting, kind of out in the west central part of the state um practice in outpatient physical therapy uh and am and glad to be here and discuss with andy some of the topics that we are on the fence about so matthew and i um did graduate from indiana university together in physical therapy school um we had a lot of questions as we went through that graduate program. Uh, We have continued to discuss those questions and we decided that putting together a resource that would be um, accessible to other physical therapy students, other practicing clinicians, and maybe those in physical therapy academia would be helpful. So we started On The Fence Physio, a Twitter account that is built for promoting discussion of some of these great topics in physical therapy, and then this podcast to summarize all those findings. We would really like you to get involved with the conversation. Conversations work best when we have lots of different opinions, lots of different experiences, and lots of different backgrounds. Right now, it's just me and you. <laughs> you and I discussing for now. That is very true. We did not have a whole lot of participation in our first one, but it was our first one. I have, I, I have good feelings about where we're going to go from here. For sure. It's only up. Only up. Only up. Quality of conversation between you and I is almost as good as the quality of conversation I have with myself. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Uh, yeah, and I like – So, Matt, yes. Matthew, what was our topic of conversation for this so past month? So, our topic of conversation in this past uh, month was uh, physical therapy dosage and uh, more specifically the dosage of visits – um, how often, how long, and what you tell your patients on that first visit when you're going to give them your plan of care. So it's not always two times a week for six weeks? I thought it was two times a week for eight weeks, but I'm just not as good of a physical therapist as you, so it takes me longer to get my patients better, I think. So what do you remember from our academic upbringing our actual schooling talking about physical therapy dosage what were we taught in school so at the great indiana university we from what i remember um were taught to base our dosage and duration on the stages of tissue healing right it's a soft tissue injury a bony injury surgical um and applying general guidelines as to how long those normally take to heal 
um, and integrating that with patient-specific needs um, for our prescription. So what would be some factors of patient-specific needs that we should take into account? Oh, man, so many, right? Um, <laughs> maybe a few. <laughs> maybe a few. Oh, let's see. So for me personally now, when I'm looking at patients, I uh, think about how independent are they, uh, what type of access do they have to equipment if they need it, um, what's their fitness background, how motivated are they, um, are they somebody who seems to be attacking whatever's going on head on? Do they seem like they have fear avoidance behaviors? Uh, those types of things. Do you feel like you can get all of those factors well understood for every patient within that first appointment? Because that's usually when we have to write our plan of care. I think for the majority, yes. And there are some that completely confuse me and I think I have them figured out on the first visit. I think they're going to be compliant, they're going to do a great job and then they don't show up the next three visits, you know. Um, so there's always those patients. But I think for the majority in an hour evaluation, I can get a good idea, at least from a personality perspective and their general injury, we'll say, um, of the patient. Now there's modifications, but for the most part, I think I can. How about you? And I absolutely, positively, without a doubt, disagree with you. <laughs> You're not <laughs> on I, the fence about that. And I, I think that it is very, very difficult to determine all of those factors and how it will apply to your specific patient when you're trying to come up with your plan of care that'll be effective, cause a significant and long-lasting change in that patient's functional status, pain management, whatever their goals happen to be, and to also not be over doing it, to not be overdosing the patient and providing more intervention that is absolutely necessary to achieve those goals. I feel like my plan of care is almost constantly in flux. And for most part, I tell my patients, hey, let's start with this amount of frequency. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, we'll go. We'll modify from there. So I think that our plan of cares do not need to be established in that first visit and should be reassessed almost at every appointment. I would agree with that. The reassessment at each appointment. You do a formal reassessment at every appointment. Actually, I had an insurance rabbit trail for a patient. I had to do a reassessment every week. So, and I was seeing him only one time a week at the end, so I had to do a, a formal reassessment every week. But yes, no, I, I agree. Um, you could put two times 12, one times eight, three times six, uh, but the presentation of the patient on that day is going to determine what you do the next, next visit or what you don't do. Okay. Um, you brought up a, during our conversation on Twitter, you brought up a wonderful resource. Cincinnati Children's Hospital put out a document that talked about the different um, frequencies, dosages of physical therapy. Um, the models that they discussed in their document were the intensive therapy, which is three to 11 visits per week. I know. Right? Um, <laughs> the weekly, monthly therapy, that's one to two times each week. Um, the periodic therapy, which is one time a week, one time a month or at regularly scheduled intervals, and then the consultative therapy, which is as necessary. A little vague. Yes. 
Um, I threw so, it out there as, do you know of any other guidelines like that? I do not. Yeah, I, I, um, I have uh, perused this document before um, when I uh, was spending some time interning at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Um, I think it's a wonderful conversation topic to have um, with parents of, of you know pediatric patients to discuss what are the pros and cons of each of these. Um, in pediatric therapy, there is actually a considerable bit, considerable amount more um, of this kind of research, um, specifically cerebral palsy patients, talking about the intensive bouts of care having better outcomes when it comes to um, functional scales that they do, um, about community mobility. Um, the intensive bouts of care do better than the um, weekly or bi-monthly therapy. So the pediatric realm has taken this uh, dosage standpoint um, very seriously in their literature. And I do think that's because there is, other than just the insurance costs, there is um, probably a little bit more emotional cost for pediatric patients. Um, it's you know can be a little bit more demanding on the parents who have to deal with their child going to physical therapy. Um, it can also be a bit more of a time commitment issue because children you know maybe need to be in school, need to be doing homework, and they can't drive themselves to therapy. So we're we're taking another person out of their life, you know, out of their activities of daily living to perform those therapy sessions. So if you can get you know a better change in fewer total number of visits, then that's fantastic, right? Right. Now, what do you think the barriers are to that type of research in the adult orthopedic population that you and I spend most of our time in? <laughs> Interest? I don't know. <laughs> even, why, like, is no, why has no one done it? I don't yeah, know. Like all of our... CPGs that we, you know, study through a residency and orthopedic, those are like, there's not much about frequency or duration in them, right? Absolutely not. Um, I think that is a well under-researched part of orthopedic physical therapy or outpatient physical therapy. And that is something that, you know, as you and I were going back and forth on Twitter, we we're having some trouble finding, you know, research to back up either side of the argument. Um, one of the favorite articles that I pulled up was a very old one talking about um, the ACL repair, talking about how seven visits versus 20 visits didn't really have all that big of change in their outcomes. Um, but that's not even a very well done study because you're just comparing seven visits, 20 visits. It's that, is that saying that one model is better than the other? And that's like, the DiCarlo study, right? Yeah, that's the DiCarlo study, who's an Indianapolis guy. Yes. Have you bumped into him while you were there? <laughs> no, I have not, actually. <laughs> I'm too far out in the country. Too far <laughs> But yeah, um, I, I feel like uh, it's just got to be, I don't know, lack of interest, because there is definitely financial incentive to have this kind of research done in orthopedics, because if we can prove that doing more visits or more frequent visits or longer visits, longer plans of care in outpatient orthopedic physical therapy, we are paid, um, we are, are service-based reimbursement. 
So we'll get paid more if we can prove that more physical therapy is better than less physical therapy. Right. And that um, kind of brings up a topic that we talked about also as we're renewing our license this year and doing our ethics and jurisprudence is that within that ethics section, um, it's unethical to do too much physical therapy, but it's also unethical to do too little physical therapy. Um, and which side would you rather err on, right? Too much or too little. Um, and especially when the financials get into it too. So yes, that's a, um, it's a good point that you bring up. Uh, personally, I feel like if you err on the side of too much physical therapy, you can't really take away physical therapy that you've already done. You've already built those units. It's already gone. It's kind of like getting a haircut. If you get too much cut off, they're not going to put it back on. <laughs> so if you do maybe a little bit too little physical therapy, you err a little bit too much on the, on the lesser side. And maybe that patient comes back. And it's like, oh, well, I'm like 90%, but I didn't get all the way to 100%. You go, okay, well, we can do some more of that. And then you can add on what you need to. So I feel like we should be. So <laughs> this is where we get off the uh, the unbiased viewpoints. We start letting bias, our yeah. <laughs> biases get in here, right? Um, which, you know, as you and I argue these either sides, we try to pick one side or the other. Yeah. Our listeners should know that Matt and I decide which side we're going to argue pre posting and may not reflect our direct <laughs> beliefs ourselves but we try in order to limit our own biases is to try to argue maybe the other side of what we believe which i think is a useful skill for young physical therapists to learn is learn how to um debate both sides of an argument for sure but back to <laughs> back to my point i had a point was there you a did. point or was that a broken pencil your point was that you would <laughs> rather um, do less because you could always mm -hmm. add more versus doing maybe too much or over prescribing and not being able to take that back. Right. So um, um, I was going to say our uh, clinic uses the photo outcomes tool. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that for me, I feel that photo motivates that type of practice is um, an effectiveness score. And that effectiveness score is based on the change in their functional outcome score um, in the number of visits that they have achieved. So say they start at a 60, they get to an 80, a 20 point difference, um, but I've seen them for six visits and they've gotten that 20 point difference. And then photo tells me the average patient clinician, it takes them 14 visits to get there. Um, well, you probably feel pretty good about yourself. So I feel pretty good about myself. <laughs> On the other side of things, sometimes like, oh, yeah, man, it's been... <laughs> that's right. That's right. Or as other times, um, you know, and once again, it's just a number. But at the same time, it's a, a way to at least frame uh, objectively or somewhat objectively from pooled data of how much uh, treatment you're giving to this type of patient versus what the average is. So... So that's a good point that you bring up is um, there are some physical therapy companies, private companies that grade, you know, or, you know, evaluate, assess their therapists based on how much change they're able to make in how, what number of visits talking about effectiveness. Now there are some physical therapy companies 
shall be remain anonymous that grade their therapists on other things such as how many units per week do they bill how many patient visits do they have per week what's the duration of their plan of care before discharge and those are the factors that they measure do you think that therapists that are trying to get their patients you know quick or more change in fewer number of visits would do well in that kind of system. Right. And that is the question, right? Because that's know, a leading question. Yes. Cause we know <laughs> the answer is, is no, because those metrics of success on both sides are not compatible necessarily. <laughs> um, now where it can change is where we've listened to some different um, therapists talk about if you're having a quicker patient turnover, less visits. You're also trying to see more evaluations. And from a monetary perspective, that could maybe even it out. But to answer your question, I don't think that those um, two metrics go very well together. Okay. And then measuring changes on functional outcome scales um, and number of visits as a metric. Um, There's an article I read about a study where they gave all the patients a quick dash they had half the patients um, then go perform all of the tasks that are on the quick dash yes. and then take the scale one more time. And then they had the other group sit in the lobby during that time and then take the scale one more time. And there was, on average, 14-point difference in the post-test versus the pre-test. And that is well over the MCID. Now, do you remember if that was negative or positive? Um, the thing is, it was uh, talking about total difference. Okay. So yes, if you want to get into the nitty gritty of the numbers, there were some negatives, there were some positives. They were talking about like a total difference yeah. of the group. Yeah, so some... not to say that it's always going to improve their score because it might decrease their score if they if they feel more confident. But what you're measuring is you're measuring patient confidence rather than their actual ability to perform functional tasks. Right. And I so think if that's you can make good... your patients very confident in a short amount of time, you're going to do well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just blow some smoke up there and get them going. No, I think that's a really good point because sometimes we have those patients who rank themselves very highly on those tests, but when you actually have them do it or, you know, like there's, they're functioning very poorly. So those scores are once again, just one piece of the puzzle, but, uh, a piece of the puzzle nonetheless. So Andy, in the last part of this podcast, um, what are your top takeaways from our discussion this month? I would say that my top takeaways are that patient-specific factors should be taken into strong consideration when prescribing physical therapy dosage. And that is not only our professional duty, it's our ethical duty and our fiscal duty to make these recommendations to our patients to the best of our ability. We should not put it on the patients to decide what their frequency should be, um, either increasing the frequency or decreasing the frequency. We are the professionals that understand what our responsibility is within this role. We need to be making these recommendations. Um, and then the other thing that I would think that 
all young therapists, students of physical therapy need to understand too, is that it's a moving target. Um, there is no right answer that's the right answer all the time. It's, there's no right answer for any diagnosis. There's no right answer for any one particular patient for every single day of the week. It's going to change, and you need to be flexible and change your dosage to meet the current needs of the patient in front of you. Awesome, awesome. So this next month on on the Fence Physio, um, our discussion is going to be re- related to current events, right? Um, and is physical therapy an essential service during the COVID-19 pandemic? Do we have a role to play in patient care? So I'm going to take the side that we're not essential and argue against <laughs> argue against my uh, you know, argue against biases or I guess the, not against the profession, but you know, I'm going to take that side that we're not essential whatsoever. Yes. And myself, as I have in, and in my fourth week of sitting at home with no face to face contact with any patients, we'll take the side of we are absolutely essential and should be taking a strong role in physical therapy and patient care. Um, I do want to, you know, fully say that this is a very serious um, worldwide health crisis and neither Matt nor myself are epidemiologists or physicians of internal medicine or infectious disease and that we will be speaking solely from our experience as physical therapists and will not try to make um, too many bold claims about what um, the epidemiology of COVID-19, the um, prevention of spread of COVID-19, or the tr- treatment of it. We'll just try to speak of physical therapy's role in a global pandemic. For sure. So I think hopefully we get some other voices in the conversation um, this month, but if not... And we'll give a shout out okay. to um, oh, yeah. our one shout other out. participant, um, Eric Mara, um, also known as the Science PT. Right. I believe he has a podcast that has maybe one or two more listeners than ours does. PT Request, I think something like that. PT Digest. PT Digest. Yes, yes, you got it. Um, and he's with uh, J W U Double V. Double V. J Double V. Yeah. And they do their podcast uh, out of Iowa, I think. Yes, and you can find um, Eric at at Twitter at Eric Mara or his uh, partner JW at EIP Consult. Yeah, and those are two uh, worthwhile follows for sure. Absolutely, um, and if you're not following on the fence physio OTF physio, please do so that you can join in on our monthly conversations. Matt, do you have any closing thoughts for us? I do not. I have no closing thoughts. I've thought all the thoughts I can think. I'll save some for next month. Yep. That was about a pint full of thoughts for me, and that's all I've got for tonight. All right. See you, Andy. See you,